How are you this morning? Let's get our Bibles out. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer. I'm so thankful that the disciples had the, I know it was of the Holy Spirit, but I'm glad that they had the humility and the guts to ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because, you know, to, to ask that question takes some humility, amen? These were Jewish men. They had a covenant with God. They were taught the scriptures, the law and the prophet. Even though they were simple men, they weren't trained theologically. They knew, they would think if anybody knows how to pray, it's us Jews that know how to pray. But yet they looked at Jesus as he was praying, and they were like, this guy knows something about prayer that we haven't learned yet. And even that takes humility. And you know what? In life, that is the secret to a lot of success, is being humble enough to ask when you see something that you don't possess or you don't have or you don't know, to be humble enough to ask someone, teach me. Amen? That works everywhere. But here we're seeing it work in the kingdom of God as these men are watching Jesus connecting with the Father on a level that they've never experienced. And they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus gives them an answer. And within that answer, he gives them the Lord's Prayer, which is something that we've discovered is not just a prayer to be prayed over and over again, but it's a template for prayer. They didn't say, Lord, teach us a prayer. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus gave them a, a model, a template for prayer. And we've been going through that template. We noticed that it started off focusing completely on God. Let me read it to you here. Jesus says in verse 9 of Matthew 6, in this manner, therefore, pray. Here it is, guys. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our trespasses or our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And verse 13 is so interesting. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So here we're getting into verse 12, talking about uh, debt and sin and forgiveness. And we're going to unpack that in just a minute. But let's, let's kind of take a look at where we've come from to trace the pattern here. The template showed us we come into the presence of God and we acknowledge him, number one, as our father. That's an awesome thing, amen, that our father is God and he is in heaven and he sits on heaven's throne. Those are two things that we need to acknowledge when we come to the, to the place of prayer. God, you're our heavenly father, and God, you sit on heaven's throne. Why is that important? Because it shows relationship with him, and it also shows that he sits in a position of complete authority. When you are on heaven's throne and you're seated, that means uh, you have complete authority and dominion over all things, amen? When Jesus was done, he, he what? He sat down, amen? He sat down, and the Father gave him the name above every name. So we see uh, our Father is seated. He's in heavenly places. We talked about the fact that we worship our way into the presence of God. I pray that as you come to the place of prayer every day, as you come into the secret place, that you would hallow God's name, that you would reverence God's name, that you would come with a sense of awe for who your heavenly Father is and that he's seated on heaven's throne, amen? amen. Worship your way into the presence of God. Yes. Worship is one of the most powerful tools we have at our disposal as Christians, amen? Worship will change your mind, it'll change your heart, it'll change the atmosphere around you. Yes. 
And so we worship into the presence of God. And the pattern continues. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be our name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Acknowledging that, God, we want your kingdom in our lives. We're no longer autonomous. We're no longer those who do their own thing, but we're submitted to the will of God. And that we want heaven to come and touch earth, amen? I don't know about you, as I look around at what's going on in the earth, I know that we need a little heaven to touch what's going on in earth, amen? That man is in, in his arrogance and his hubris. We think we can solve all the problems, but we just make things worse. When we walk away from God, we walk into chaos and confusion. So we notice the shift take place here in verse 11. The shift that took place was we went from in this template, focusing everything on the Lord and about reverencing him to now we focus on our daily needs. Understand, there's a way to come into the presence of God. Yes, when it's an emergency, sometimes we just barge in, amen? Anyone been just so desperate? Jesus! God's not in heaven Go, you didn't follow the protocol. Let's start over, take two. No, he understands that. He understands desperation. But the, the template is, the pattern is that we come into the Lord's presence, reverencing him and all of those things. But then a shift takes place and we focus on our needs. And look, when we looked at this verse here, uh, it said, give us this day our daily bread. And we found out that bread was a biblical symbol of sustenance. God has our supply of what we need to sustain us physically and spiritually all day long. Amen. You might feel like you have lack, but if you're a Christian, you do not have lack because you are connected to the source of all things. Someone should say amen there, amen. Your God is Jehovah Jireh. He is your provider. He has a lot of everything you need. You thought Amazon was quick and fast and had a lot of stuff, amen. It's amazing. I order stuff, and it's almost like by the time I'm done, someone's knocking on my door, and it's there. They're using drones now to dro drop stuff on people's yards. Do you realize how fast we're getting in our own culture here? Come on, don't look at me like you don't know what Amazon is. You, we, we pray all day, Pastor. We don't know what you do, but... But God, you know, we bring our needs to him and he supplies our needs. And there's no shortage in heaven. There's no lack in heaven. The shelves in heaven aren't empty, Amen he's got a ready supply of everything we need. And now we move into verse 12 here. And verse 12 is a short verse. It's one we're all familiar with, but it is so powerful. And forgive us our debts or our sins or our trespasses as we forgive those who sin against us. Let's take a look at what that is all about this morning. As Christians, it's important for us to understand the true nature of sin. All right, let me try that again. And everybody say amen whether you feel it or not. As Christians, we should understand the true nature of sin. Amen. That's better. Because if we don't understand the true nature of sin, the enemy is going to take advantage of us in our ignorance. We are sinners, and we have to understand the nature of sin. Now, I know nobody likes to talk about sin. We had fun with this in first service, but there were some quiet moments. And, and sin is not a fun topic. Much rather talk about grace and forgiveness and mercy and restoration. Anybody like that better? But Jesus says right here, you know, he's talking about the debt of sin. And what we need to understand here is the, the true biblical nature of sin. In fact, there's a part of Christian theology, the study of sin is called hamartology. And hamartology deals with the effects of sin, the nature of sin, 
the eternal consequences of sin, its effect on mankind, and the cure for sin. Christian theology has an answer from Scripture for all of these topics, and sin is a very important topic for us to understand. Now, we live in a world that denies sin, that doesn't want to talk about sin, that says nothing is a sin, that sin is some construct that religious people made up to make others feel guilty so that they control him. But the truth is this, we are all sinners born in original sin, and if we don't address our issue of sin, it will kill us and send us to a Christless eternity, and that's the truth. Whether the world acknowledges it or not, whether some churches acknowledge it or not, whether pastors will preach about it or not, sin is still in effect. Hamartology, we need to understand the theology, the nature of sin. Now, according to what Jesus says here in verse 12, in the New King James Version, it sees sin as a debt. And I want, you to, I want you to understand that sin to us is a debt. We as sinners incur a debt, and that debt of sin must be paid off. Amen? This is basic Christian theology here. We're born in original sin. We, we confirm our sin nature the, immediately, as, as quickly as we can, we sin ourselves. Amen? A little baby, you know, you might say, how does a little baby sin? Well, you know, maybe when they get a little bit older and they steal their first cookie or they, you know, they, they break something and the mother says, did you break that vase? And they're like, no. We confirm our nature by sinning as quickly as we can, amen? I'm sure it took me, I'm, I'm sure I was right away, I just, you know, must have did something wrong. So, uh, you know, that sin nature is confirmed in us and, it is a debt now. The payment for our sin legally requires the death of the sinner. Now, that's serious, isn't it? Listen to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. Is that clear enough? You don't need to pray about that one or look up the Greek word. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now, thank God for part B of the verse. Amen. The wages of sin is death, and I'm a sinner, so this is serious. But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When it comes to sin, we've all got to deal with it. We have two choices in dealing with our sin, and it's an either-or thing. Either we're going to pay the debt ourselves, and we're going to lose our life and our soul in the process of paying that debt. How many think that that's not a great option? But the truth is, the wages of sin are death. And I'm a sinner, and death is the, is the price that has to be paid to pay the debt of my sin. Uh, we can either go with that route, or we can trust Jesus has finished his work on the cross. He died on the cross in our place as a sinless man to break the power of sin that, so that we could accept what he did in our place, and we wouldn't have to pay with our life and our soul for eternity. Amen. I, I don't blame you for clapping. But we can have the free gift of eternal life. Now, I don't know about you and how good you are at spotting a good deal, but, but plan B sounds like the way to go to me, amen? Anybody want to pay their own debt? Some real stubborn old codger. Oh, I pay my own way. Not this time you don't. This isn't your bill at Golden Corral, bucko. This is your soul, amen? You need somebody. You need somebody to pay for you. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. So understanding the nature of sin, it's a debt. And it says, Lord, forgive us our debts. In verse 12, the template continues by reminding us 
that even though we're saved and we're redeemed and we're forgiven, we still have to address the issue of sin at times. Anybody accept Jesus and never sin again? No hands went up in first service either. We're probably just not a good congregation. No, the truth is, all of us who have accepted Jesus and have been born again and saved, we are redeemed, our names written down in the Lamb's book of life, our eternity is settled. Positionally, we, God looks at us and he sees Jesus, he sees the blood of the Lamb, and he doesn't see sinful Rick, he sees sinless Jesus. And that's a good news thing for all of us, amen, because God doesn't, you know, count our sin against us, but he forgives us. But the truth is, I still sin, and you still sin, and we have got to address this issue. That's why the Lord is teaching us to pray, forgive us our debt of sin, Lord, every day when we come to him and we get before him, we've got to address this issue of sin. Yes, we are saved. Yes, we're redeemed. Yes, our eternity is settled. But we can't ignore sin when it visits our life. We've got to address it. Now, how do we address our sin? Two ways. Number one, we address our sin by confessing our sin. Someone say amen. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says this. If we say then that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Wow, could that be any clearer? That the person who says, well, you know, I'm saved, and I got Jesus, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and I, I go to a holiness church, and once you get saved, well, you never sin again, and once we baptize you, you're just going to walk perfect and live right, and everything's going to be good, and if you mess up, then you really weren't saved, and you, you probably need to get saved again and dunked again. There's some bad theology out there that says things like that. And what does it do? Well, if you get saved, then you have to be pious and holy and sinful and no sin. And, you gotta, and if you do, you better hide it because, you know, it's not going to look good for you. Do you see how that would force you into the corner, force you into the cover of darkness to be playing a game to deceive yourself? Well, I'm a Christian now. I don't sin anymore. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9 is so beautiful. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin. So the first thing we have to do with our sin is confess it and not deny it. You know, denial is not just a river in Egypt. For some of the slow people, I'll let that sink in. Denial. Denying sin, trying to pretend that you're perfect or you're sinless or that you got it all together is a dangerous game to play. Don't play that game. All of us need to be humble and transparent and not that we go around sinning or bragging about sin or seeing if we can out-sin each other, but to be humble. <laughs> well, that's nothing. You should have seen what I did this week. No. That's not the point of the drill here. The point of the drill is to be humble enough to say, hey, I'm a sinner. I've had bad thoughts, bad attitudes, bad actions. Amen. There's times where I wasn't loving. There's times in traffic. Well, never mind. But there's times. There's times. And, and we have to be humble enough and transparent enough to confess our sin. Number two, we have to address our sin by repenting of it. Now, why is God so concerned about our occasional sin? Did you ever think like this? You know, God, the whole world is sinning out there full blast. 
and, and, and I'm trying not to, but, you know, every time I do something wrong, it feels like the spotlight's on me, the conviction's on me, the Holy Spirit's all over me, and, 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 and there has to be confession, and there needs to be repentance. God, why so much focus on me with my little sin? Anybody ever feel like that? And your neighbor's out of control, and the people at your office are out of control, and other people, you know, out of control, and they're just fat, dumb, and happy having fun. But Lord, no, it's almost you want to you quote that scripture to him, take the log out of somebody else's eye and leave the splinter in mine. Just, just give me a break. Well, Revelation 3.19 answers the question. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Because God loves us, he reproves us. Because God loves us, he disciplines us. Because we're his children, he corrects us. Why doesn't he correct lost people? He's trying to convict them. He's trying to draw them. He's trying to love them into the kingdom. But they're not his kids. God's a good parent. He corrects his own children. Come on. You ever, you ever seen that parent in the mall, in the store, on a plane, won't correct their kid? Oh, isn't he cute? No, he's gonna go, I'm going to throw him out the emergency exit. I don't care how short he is. He kicks my seat one more time. He's going to limp down the aisle. God corrects his own children because he loves us. God deals with the speck or the splinter in our eye because he loves us. God expects us to confess our sin no matter how little or insignificant we think it is, to confess it and to repent of it. Listen, repentance means that we're going in one direction and that we turn completely around and head in the other direction. That we were going towards things that were not of God, immorality, uh, sexual sin, all kinds of, you know, abuse of ourselves and just uh, alcoholism, drug addiction, all that. We're going towards that and then we say, no, that's the wrong way God convicts us. We turn around and we repent and now we run towards God. Repentance is necessary. We have to turn around. But I want you to understand something. Many times, you know, we're going towards sin, and instead of, you know, turning around, we, we remove ourselves from sin this way. We just kind of back away from it. And then we look at it, and we go, ooh, yeah, that, oh, yeah, that was pretty, oh, that was a fun time, wasn't it? All oh, the good old days, man, look at that. And we're going back and forth. Why? Because we're still focused on sin. Repentance means we turn our back on it. Turn your back on sin, amen? Don't fantasize, romanticize. Don't say it was the good old days. Don't think, oh, you know, blah, blah. I don't, you know, sometimes Christians have these testimonies that, you know, the uglier it is, the more spiritual they think they look. Turn your back on sin. Repent of it. And put your eyes on Jesus and run towards him, amen? Fall in love with the things of God and the kingdom of God and the word of God. Don't focus on sin. Repent of it. Turn your back on it. Now, listen to me. Some people are good confessors, but, but they don't repent. You're like, oh, yeah, you're right, Pastor. I'm wrong. I, yeah, I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm, I shouldn't do that. I know. Oh, yeah, I know what the Bible says about that. You know, you're right. I confess. I'm doing it. But then they have no plans to stop doing it. Confession is not enough. Repentance needs to be enjoined to it. Amen. As a pastor, I've spent countless hours counseling and dealing with people who were great confessors but had no intention of repenting. 
I remember as a young pastor, I spent seven months with a couple in marriage counseling. It was like uh, I felt like a referee at, uh, at WWE wrestling. <laughs> there was literally one point I had to stand up on my desk and call timeout. Seven months, and guess what? In seven months, they never repented. They never changed their behavior. They never stopped blaming each other, and they got divorced. Boy, did I learn a lesson. You can't just confess your sin. You've got to repent of it, amen? And when we repent of it, that's when the ball gets rolling in the right direction. Understand, it might be a speck in your eye this morning, but that speck will turn into a log, will turn into a tree, will turn into a forest because that's the nature of sin. That's what sin does. It's not static. It doesn't stay in a vacuum. It grows, it metastasizes, and it kills the sinner because the wages of sin are death. So that little pet thing that you won't repent of, it just may surprise you to know that it's trying to kill you. Verse 12 gives us a threefold response from Jesus on how we are to address our sin. And we should do three things. Number one, we should ask God to forgive us. You say, why ask God? Because really it's him that we sin against. Oh, no, you don't understand. It was, you know, it was my spouse. It was my brother. It was my coworker. You know, I, I sinned against them. Yeah, you sinned against them, but really, in essence, we really are sinning against God. And because God meets out the forgiveness and the restoration and sets the parameters for, you know, what it takes for us to, you know, not visit this thing again, we have to ask him to forgive us. You know, and he would, again, a lot of times... We get confused about these things, and that's why it's important we understand the nature of sin. If we are forgiven, and we are saved, and we are going to heaven, why do we still have to confess and ask God to forgive us? How many would agree it's awkward to confess that you're wrong? Anybody like, you know, confessing to your wife or your husband or your boss or your neighbor that you're wrong? It's so quiet. It's funny. If I had a tie on, the... the, the, Because nobody likes that. Nobody likes to confess that they're wrong. You know, how, how many times have you been in an argument, knee-deep in it, halfway through, and figured out you were wrong? Come on, guys. Come on, man. Don't look so holy. Right? We're all the time, you know, we're, and we're, like, making good points, but then we're like, oh, wait a minute. Totally wrong. And then we're like, want to change the subject. Hey, what's on TV? My wife will say, you never said you were sorry. I'm like, how about them Yankees? No, we don't, like to, we don't like to be wrong. We don't like to confess. It's awkward, even going before the Lord. There's been times where, you know, you, you know you got something that you did that you need to confess to the Lord and you need to ask forgiveness and you need to get right with God, but you would rather talk to God or pray about anything else than, than to deal with that. I remember times being in God's presence where I'm just like, you know, and how about the pygmies in New Guinea? And no, and and you know, and oh, my neighbor, Lord, save my neighbor! And the Holy Spirit, the whole time, He's tapped me. Uh, hello, 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 hello. I want to talk to you. Hey, I want to talk to you about this. And, and it just—it's almost like humorous at this point that you know you don't want to deal with that issue because it's awkward. Because you know, once you open up that area and you open up your heart and you open up that can of worms, man, it—it's going to be—it's going to need some serious cleaning out. There's going to be brokenness. There's going to be tears. There, there's there's going to be dealing with the Holy Spirit. 
you know, but it's so much better to deal with that thing and, and, and to get it cleaned out than to let it get infected and let it just bring death to, 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 to your relationship with God. So we've got to ask God to forgive us. Yeah, he knows. You're not going to ever confess something to God and he's going, really? I didn't know you did that. Hang on, let me check my records. Oh, yeah. No, he knows. He was right there with you. You know, we're born again. We're filled with the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We bring Jesus with us when we sin. Think about that. Ugh. I don't even, I got a little bit more, you know, I dug in a little harder for a service. Maybe you guys are a little holy. I'm not feeling it today, but. But, you know, we bring God into these situations, into dens of iniquity, into beds of adultery. Christians bring him into sexual sin, into things on the Internet, pornography, all these things. He's with you. The Holy Spirit is there. He doesn't turn off the camera. He doesn't check out. He doesn't go wait outside. He's right there with you. And when we sin, we've got to ask his forgiveness. Because we not only sinned and yielded our members to, you know, as instruments of unrighteousness, but we've sinned against God. We've sinned against the Holy Spirit. And that takes us asking God to forgive us. We're all weak in certain areas, but God wants us to learn how to be overcomers. You see, well, why does he have to make us confess? Why does it have to be so awkward? Is he trying to embarrass us? No, he's trying to teach us that we don't have to remain in sin, but we can learn to overcome sin, amen? And the first step to overcoming sin is to asking forgiveness and going through that awkwardness so we don't run back to it so quickly. Amen? Amen. Man, there's nothing like being embarrassed and humiliated in life sometimes to keep us from doing the same stupid things over and over again. Anybody? Yeah, yeah praise God. Ho hopefully, you know, we learn our lessons quickly. Some people, you know, got to learn the extra hard way. We're an extreme generation, extremely stubborn. But we need to ask God to forgive us. Number two, uh, that's dealing with the component of sin that applies to us, but the second part of the verse here, again, there's a shift in focus. You know, it says here that God forgive us our sins, our debts, as we forgive those who sin against us, as we forgive the debts of others. So notice these two things are linked. Forgive us as we forgive others. Did you catch that in there? And so the second part of the focus here as we deal with the issue of sin in verse 12 is we've got to release those who have sinned against us in the past. Now, when we want forgiveness, it's easy to come to God. We get broken, we're sorry, we cry out for mercy, and boy, sometimes we put on such a good act, we're like, man, I, I'm really going to get some mercy today. But when someone does something to us and sins against us, boy, a lot of times we're not thinking, oh, well, let me extend mercy, let me be kind, let me be forgiving. We're like, God, how come they're still breathing? God, how come the lightning didn't hit them? I don't even hear thunder. There's, it's not even raining. You know, when we mess up, we want mercy. But when some people sin against us, man, the mercy is the last thing on our mind. Now, listen to me. As I preach this point, I'm not being insensitive to the fact that people can do really wicked and horrible things to other people. People can do all kinds of 
immoral, wicked things, child abuse, sexual abuse, uh, exploitation. I don't want to get too graphic, but, you know, you understand what I'm talking about. So when someone sins against us, sometimes it's not just, uh, well, you know, they, they, you know they, they ate my lunch out of the refrigerator at the office. No, they did something really wicked that takes a, a huge commitment to try and forgive. So we've got to forgive those who sinned against us in the past. Now, we're going to talk about people who sinned against us 10 minutes ago, you know, maybe in the parking lot or in the lobby or 10 hours ago, maybe yesterday or 10 days ago. We're going to talk about that, but not before we talk about those who've, you know, sinned against us 10 years ago and we've forgotten to forgive them. We've chosen to hang on to it. And it's amazing how long we can remember some of these things. I shared with first service that I had a teacher, it was like third or fourth grade, that was just so harsh and mean to us as young kids in a fourth grade class that I still remember the things she said and the look on her face and the vitriol. We found out later on she was going through a really nasty divorce, and because she was so angry, she literally tormented and destroyed the young boys in her class by saying things to us that I won't even repeat in church. Fourth grade, and I still remember it. Now, I'm not mad about it. I have no ill will. It's not something I think about every day, but I can still remember it. And my point is this, that, you know, uh, our, our minds and our hearts, you know, sometimes we can hold on to things for decades. I've been with old people at their deathbed, and they're still dealing with things that they're about to take to the grave with them, and they haven't forgiven. And I've heard people say things, I'll never forgive them for what they did to me. Ugh. Now, I get it, but it's so hard to hear that because I realize that when we refuse to extend forgiveness, we put a lid over our own lives because we're forgiven if we forgive others. And we're going to dig into that in just a minute, but we've got to release those who sinned against us in the past. I'm not saying that what they did was okay. I'm not saying that, you know, you, you know you're being a baby for still remembering it. It could have been traumatic. It could have been something that has taken decades to process. But listen, harboring unforgiveness over the things people have done to us in the past is a cancer that eats away at the grace of God in our own lives. God wants to pour out grace on your life. He wants to pour out forgiveness on your life. He wants you to be able to forgive yourself, but if you won't forgive others who've hurt you in the past, you are putting a lid on yourself, and you're killing the grace of God in your own life. Christians are especially compelled to forgive those who ask to be forgiven. How many have ever had someone come to you and ask you to forgive them? It's pretty easy to do that, isn't it? In fact, it takes a pretty hard heart to say, no, I'm not going to forgive you. Oof. I've never had somebody ask for forgiveness, no matter what they've done, that I said, no, no, I can't forgive you. There was a king who had suffered much loss and hardship at the hands of his rebellious subjects. They launched an insurrection against him, and they fought against him, and they tried to unseat him and take the kingdom from him. One day after many battles, the rebels just chose to surrender. They laid down their arms, and they threw themselves at the king's feet and begged for his mercy. That day, the king chose to pardon every single one of them. His military commanders were... Freaking out, they said, 
let me remind you, Lord, you said that every rebel deserves death, to which the king responded to the men who were kneeling in front of him, yes, but I see no rebels here. You see, when a person repents and asks for forgiveness, we have to be willing to let God restore them. We can't say, no, you'll always be that. You'll never be forgiven. I won't forgive you. You see, we hold people in these places, people who genuinely want to be forgiven. Now, sometimes, you know, we look and go, well, you're not, you're not sincere. You don't mean it. You're just faking it. You're just, you just got caught. That's not for us to judge. It's for us to extend grace. And I know this is hard, but we've got to forgive the people who have sinned against us in the past. And we've got to allow those who ask forgiveness to receive forgiveness from us. There's a second part to this, this part of the equation here as we deal with sin. Uh, we should release those who've sinned against us in the past, but we should also extend grace to those who are actively sinning against us. Now, that's, that's a little bit different, isn't it? I've said this before in other sermons, and I'll say it again. It's easier to forgive a person who stepped on your toe when they're not still standing on it. Think about that. You know, it's one thing you hurt me, but we moved on and you got some time, you got some perspective and I forgive you, but you hurt me and you're still standing on my toe and you're not planning to change anything about your behavior. Wow. It's hard to forgive someone who doesn't ask to be forgiven. It's hard to forgive the person who isn't sorry, who doesn't think they did anything wrong. It's hard to forgive the person who has no plans to stop hurting you. But the Bible teaches us that we're to forgive people like that. Now, let me just recap some of the teachings of the Bible, and you tell me if you agree with these, uh, you know, these ideas that, that I, you know, I see in Scripture. The Bible says that we should love those who love us back. It's just amazing how er no, nobody wants to say anything. We should love those who love us back, right? No. no. <laughs> we should love those who admit they're wrong and say they're sorry. Starting to see a pattern here. We should love those who publicly confess their sin against us and make restitution. Is that in there? Matthew 5, 43 through 45. You've heard that it's been said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Old Testament. But I say to you, Jesus speaking, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. See, a lot of us are New Testament Christians trying to exercise Old Testament justice. Oh, I love those who love me. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Come on, we're under grace. We've been forgiven, amen? We can't do that anymore. We can't enjoy the benefits of grace and then be stingy with extending it to others because they don't deserve it. Newsflash, we didn't deserve it either. Amen. So Matthew 18 chronicles Peter coming to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive you know, someone up to seven times. And, you know, Jesus says to him, no, seven, not seven times, but 70 times seven. 
Now, if you dig into the implications of what Jesus is saying here, he's saying 70 times seven times for the same person for the same offense in the same day. Now, I don't know about you, but if I got somebody sinning against me 70 times seven times the same thing in the same day, I'm moving. Where where do you find these people? Jesus is trying to make a point that, Peter, it's not just a number that you can reach. It's not just turn the other cheek and all I got is one cheek left. No, it's it's the heart that says, you know what, I'm going to extend grace every time, all the time. Wow. Even to someone who, you know, has sinned against me and doesn't think they did anything wrong, doesn't ask to be forgiven, is not sorry, and has made no plans to change their behavior. Extend grace to someone like that and forgive them. Why? Because if you don't, you're back in that same position of needing to be forgiven but putting a lid over your life. Now, I've said all that to make the point of how we extend grace and extend forgiveness, but I want to make one more point as I end this message. Wisdom dictates that we freely forgive, but at the same time, we have to protect our spiritual, emotional, and mental stability. Listen to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. So it's reflexive. We forgive, we forgive. But there are times where we, we can forgive a person, but we still have to protect ourselves spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. Because God has put a deposit in us that needs to be protected. How many know you can allow other people into your life in a way that brings such distress to your life that they can hurt your spirit, they can hurt your walk with God, they can hurt you emotionally? Come on this morning. And just because of the proximity they have, they keep doing it over and over again. They're the person who's not only stepped on your toe, but they're standing on your foot. So there are times where we have to protect what God has put in us by extending forgiveness and then setting up healthy boundaries to keep them from abusing us in grace. I'm going to read you a quote from a Christian counselor, Shannon Thomas, from the South Lake Christian Counseling Ministry. She said this, and I agree with her. Spiritual abuse takes place when scriptures on forgiveness are distorted to keep someone from setting healthy boundaries with a toxic person. If you have a person in your life that is hell-bent on abusing you, forgive them, but don't allow them the same access to your life. That's just not wise. And I don't care what scripture they quote and say, well, you have to let me hurt you because you have to forgive me. That's demonic manipulation. It's demonic. It's not godly. It's not biblical. It's not true. We have to protect what God has invested in us. Spiritual abusers will hurt others and use Scripture to keep the hurt going. Toxic people need boundaries. And it's not unchristian to set up boundaries to protect the deposit of God in your own life. You need to stay healthy emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Protect the deposit of God. In your life, forgive, yes, but set up healthy boundaries to stop the abuse. Today, we learn about the nature of sin. We learn about forgiveness. We all need it because we're all sinners. We confess, we repent, we ask God to forgive us, and we come to him, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. 
If you're wrestling with sin today, I encourage you to run to God. Don't hide from him. Go to him, confess, and really repent. Don't just say, yeah, I did it, but allow the Holy Spirit to turn around your, your, your will and your heart so that you turn around and walk away from the sin. If you know you're doing stuff you shouldn't do, stop doing it. There's grace, and there's better days ahead if we'll let Jesus set us free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you this morning that our forgiveness hinges on whether we forgive others. Lord, that we need to be forgivers. We need to extend grace. We need to be those who ask Uh, Lord God, that we've sinned against you, and you alone have we sinned against. So, Lord, forgive us. Grant us the gift of repentance and set us free. In our confession, teach us how to be overcomers so that we don't struggle with the same sin over and over again, but we learn to overcome in faith. We ask all this in Jesus' name.